Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, the podcast that's all about Best Picture winners and asking the vital question of whether the film itself matters anymore. I'm Andrew Pierce, and I'm joined by my co-host, David Giannini. Welcome. Thank you again for coming here to discuss uh, Best Picture winners with me. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. Uh, You owe me thanks, and we'll talk about why very soon. (laughs) Any other why, any why other time, no, we'll I'd be like, that oh, yeah, of course, no problem. Yeah. But this episode, sir, <laughs> thank goodness, thank goodness, we started with a double episode of one movie that is an honest to god masterpiece, and another movie that's really, really good uh, in in our last episode. Because this one, if we had started here, I might have been, you know what, I'm, I pass. I'm not doing this. Find another guest. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> Yeah, look, I would agree with that as well. So what's the film that we're discussing on this particular episode? Uh, So this episode, the somehow Oscar winner, uh, The Broadway Melody, which, as I understand, is thought of as one of the worst Oscar winners of all time. Like, in any list you see, it's going to be in that bottom five. You'll see the Broadway melody pop up. So strap in, folks. We're going to we're gonna maybe not... Because I think in a lot of these episodes, it's going to be overwhelmingly positive, right? Because a lot of these movies are well thought of for a reason. But every once in a while, we get a, we get a Broadway melody. So that's what we're in for for the next, you know, 20 to 40 minutes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so this is directed by Harry Beaumont. It is widely considered one of the first uh, musical films that's, that's out there. Um, and certainly it's one of the first uh, talky films as well. And that in itself might be enough to warrant a Best Picture win, possibly. Uh, it is also, it's worthwhile as well with this particular film. There was a segment that was shot with Technicolor. Uh, unfortunately, the footage of the, the Technicolor print doesn't exist anymore, so we can only see the black and white version. So we're not seeing the original version that existed way back in 1929 uh, that people would have been going to see then. So I think the sequence is the the wedding sequence um, where there's supposed to be a lot of like glitz and glamour and stuff like that. And when I watched this particular film, I watched it with that in mind. And I thought that maybe that by itself might be a reason why people, wow, we've never seen color before. Uh, and, you know, that might be enough to, to get people excited about something like this. Um, 
I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to tell. But this, doesn't this hammer home the idea that we talked about last time where, God, we should have kept that extra award, the unique and artistic picture? Yeah. Because yeah. this would have fit that perfectly. One of the first talkies, the first use of Technicolor, the, maybe the first musical. Yes, we're pushing new boundaries. We're doing different things. We're just doing it in a movie that's so fucking boring. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should remember it for the, the boundaries that it was pushing as opposed to the movie that it was because... Yeah, there's there's not a lot here, man. <laughs> but but I think you're right. It does do some interesting things if you have the context of being in 1928, 1929. Yeah. And it's important to know as well, this was a massive success. It, as far as I can tell, it was the biggest uh, blockbuster film of that year. Well, not blockbuster. Blockbusters didn't exist, but it was the biggest grossing film of that year. $1.6 million it made for MGM. Uh, it had a budget of something like 379. Uh, this is going by Wikipedia, so I don't know if it's adjusted or not. But regardless, it's still a very hugely financially successful film. Um, and look, <laughs> I find it fascinating in a lot of ways because it's so outwardly bland and boring. But there must have been something that the audiences of that age really responded to with this particular film and I went into it knowing that it was a bad film knowing that people hated it and just didn't love it at all there was there was very little love modern love for this particular film and so I was trying to watch it from a positive perspective and I just couldn't do it I couldn't it is an outwardly repulsive film uh there is it is technically a poorly made film in a lot of ways. And and maybe if I had watched this before watching Wings, I would have gone, all right, yeah, this is like the early days of cinema, so therefore they were rewarding something just because it was a musical or something like that. But of course, like Wings, as we talked about on that episode, they there is a technical genius in that particular film of strapping cameras to, to uh, planes and that, that, you know, the tracking shot that's in there. But here, the camera's locked off. It's all static. It's all bland and basic. And sure, a lot of the dancing is head to toe. But that doesn't make it interesting at all. Um, what did you go into this film with? It. What was your mentality when you sat down to watch Broadway Melody? So I definitely went into it with a positive perspective. Because yes, it is, you know, has been shit on for decades at this point. But... I'm also a big fan of musicals. So it's like, I don't know, there's a lot of people that hate musicals. So maybe that's where this comes from. And then you add in the fact that, you know, we're in a, in the twenties, thirties, it's this time of transition from the silent film to the talkie. So the acting may be a little bit over the top, a little bit presentational, but I was, I was also raised in theater. So I'm used to that type of acting. So I'm like, okay, maybe it'll be fine. And I knew from about five minutes in that I'm like, Dave, it's not going to be fine. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a problem. And it's not even just that the story is bland and has no pull, has no real drama to it, which is something you get with most stage and or screen musicals is a big stakes. And you really don't have that here. But even something as simple is like the first song and dance number. It's like these these two women and then a guy, right? And the guy starts the dance number. And for the first half of the dance number, there's a table in front of his legs. 
what are you doing? Like, this is what you're supposed to showcase. And all I see is shoulders moving and heads moving. And that's all you see. And then about, it's almost as if they realized it halfway through the number, but didn't want to go back. Because halfway through the number, he moves the table himself. So you can actually see what he's doing. And I'm like, the staging of this is so sloppy. And it goes throughout. And also, like, there's no memorable music in this. I watched this two days ago, and I can't think of a single number a single song that i'm like oh yeah we're gonna remember that someday all of it is so bland and so it feels like it feels like a movie that like a studio executive would like well here's the pieces we need and this will be a successful movie and apparently they're right but it's not a movie that becomes long-lasting like it's none of the performances are truly memorable no, no no one really stands out like it's just this it's honestly it's it feels like it's about four hours long. Like it is a slog to get through. And that is something whether you love or hate musicals, musicals have propulsive energy, right? They constantly move forward. Like, you know, you think of something like modern, like Moulin Rouge, like you can say a lot of things about that movie. There are people who don't like that movie and I don't like them. That's fine. Uh, but that movie has energy, man. That movie has force. And they, like to the point where it's almost, it could almost cause a fit. Like there's so much color and so much dancing and so much music and go, go, go. And that's what musicals in a lot of ways, that's what musicals are, is they are extreme. Right. Whether you're talking about the emotion involved in them or the colors used or the style of the music, everything pushes and nothing pushes here. And maybe it's because it's the first one and they're kind of unsure of how to do it. But man, this is like I was shocked at how surprisingly slow the Broadway melody was. And it, I, I wish I could have found because, you know, as we talked about last time, I want to try and get context. So, you know, because I love nothing more than making more work for myself when I'm doing <laughs> the podcast. Um, so I've tried to watch more of the nominees. I couldn't find the Hollywood Review of 1929, which I was like, really, are those different movies than the Broadway Melody? That sounds like the exact same thing. Uh, but I couldn't find that. So I wanted I, I kind of wanted to see that because it would have been interesting to see another kind of song and dance movie of the time in that same year. But man, this like, it really left me cold. Like I was just like, you know, within five minutes I had already, and this is like gotta be a record for how quickly I've checked out of a movie where I was watching. I was like, Nope. Oh no, this is going to be bad. And it just, honestly, it never got better. And I was just like, there's no one to root for really. Like there's no, there's no underlying story in most musicals. There's like a character you're clearly meant to follow and meant to root for, but like all these people suck, man. Like I was just like the whole movie. I was like, yeah, and not even they suck it away where it's like, oh, that's interesting. This person is venomous and I don't know, it's an anti-hero. It's just like, no, you're all just so fucking boring. And I've no I just want you to get off my screen. Yeah. So the plot is basically these two sisters, Queenie and Hank, um, because of course those names. Uh Queenie is played by Anita Page and Hank is played by Bessie Love, who was nominated for Best Actress. Uh, they come to New York, um, run out of uh, like they're, they're, they're low on money and stuff like that. Uh, and they come to New York uh, to come and meet a person that uh, Hank knows, Eddie Kearns, played by Charles King. And he promises them the success of being uh, Broadway stars. Uh, they are a, a two-singer-dancer act, these two sisters, the Mahoney sisters. And with that, he pairs them up with this song, the Broadway Melody, which in my notes I've written, 
that we hear the song three times within the first 40 minutes. That's the main song that we hear in this particular film. And we hear it in its entirety as well. Remember when I wanted to quit and give the whole thing up and you made me stick it out? Uh-huh. Well, now I'm going to do something for you. Zanfield's bought my new song, The Broadway Melody, and he's naming his review after it. Oh, but I've already spoken to him about you. Well, do you think we've got a chance? Chance? Don't be silly. One word from me and you're in. Oh, Cordy, ain't that great? <laughs> sure. If it's true. True? You don't know how I stand with Zanfield. Well, if it's all fixed and we're in, what do we do? When do we start? And how much do we get? Oh, you're going to sing my Broadway melody with me. The Mahoney Sisters and Eddie Kearns. Yeah, Eddie Kearns and the Mahoney Sisters. Oh, gee. Well, well how, does it, um, how does it go? How's it go? Now, listen. I sing a verse, and you come in on the chorus. Then we do another chorus, and then go into a little dance. Uh-huh. Well, give us an idea of it, then. Yeah. I'll give you an idea. Don't bring a frown to old Broadway. You've got a clown on Broadway. Your troubles there are out of style. For Broadway always wears a smile. A million lights, they flicker there. A million hearts beat quicker there. No skies are gray on the great wide away. That's the Broadway melody. Which is just insane. It's not even a good song. Like it's not. It's not a good song at all. Um, and which which made me wonder because I've read some of the reviews for the time, and there was a concern about uh, the fact that Broadway is this massive thing, and sure, Broadway musicals and reviews and things like that would tour around America. Uh, and there was a concern that. Why would people go and see a live theatre event when they can just watch the same thing for much cheaper at a cinema? They can, instead of paying $4.40 to go and see a, a review, they could then pay 75 cents to go and see it at their local place. Which is an interesting concern, and it's a major concern. I can understand that. But as time has shown, uh, the Hollywood musical was not a threat to Broadway or the stage musicals at all. There is something about uh, the physical presence of going to see a stage musical that cannot be reflected in a movie. It's not. It's completely different. Hmm. It, it is. It is different. But I, I would say yes and no to that question because I think as time has gone on, uh, the theater has become kind of it's become kind of a classist institution, right? You have to be pretty well off to have the opportunity to see a Broadway musical or even a Broadway touring cast. Like even now, like if you want to go see a Broadway touring show, like you're talking minimum, like for the worst seats, you're talking 50 bucks a, a hit. So like if you're bringing a family of four to a, to a musical, you're talking like a minimum of $200. Whereas you can go to the movies, still expensive, but less. You know, so I think there's become a little bit of a cultural divide. But and, and but I think you're right, is there is there a certain amount of physicality and presence that is different on the stage and it's more intimate 
than it is on screen. And a film musical is very different from a stage musical, no matter how much they try to connect it. Like, if, even if you look at things like Phantom of the Opera that has spurned many film versions, uh, there's, there's always something missing. From the from the film aspect of it, at least if they're doing the musical that you would only get seeing it on stage. But the, yes, that's right. And one of the things which I thought about while I was watching the Broadway Melody was maybe the reason why the camera is so static and the shots are so uniform and basic is because they're approaching it from the mentality of an audience member sitting there and watching a Hollywood, like a a Broadway show review as it is. And so therefore they don't want to distance the audience from it because they're not used to having, you know, cinematic theatricals added to their stage play musical. Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's the only reason I can, I, I could come to, why it's so bland and so boringly presented um because it's just there's just nothing in here which i can walk away from saying this is a worthwhile thing and yet on the the dvd that i've got off the the broadway melody there is on the special features uh some filmed clips of different reviews from that era and it's really interesting because i think my modern perspective, at least, of musicals is that it is a narrative piece. It is, you know, like Phantom of the Opera, like uh, The Lion King, for example, is what I can think of, or even Book of Mormon, where it's in narrative songs all the time. But the musicals of that era were just people standing up and singing songs and having an MC coming out and saying, you know, this is such and such, and they're doing such and such, and here is this song and then they would kind of tease the audience a little bit with a bit of a ditty and then the person would come out and sing the song and the MC would have a conversation with them and the next person would come out and so it was just like a travelling show we don't have that kind of stuff here in Australia, but um, I think maybe because it's such a uniquely American part of culture, history, uh, it might be more impactful and important there. Um, I'm thinking of things like uh, the uh, the Hometown Prairie Companion. Is that the the one one of uh, his last films? Um, yeah, that kind of stuff where it's like you have a rotating guest of singers and stuff like that. Is that a big thing in America? Am I being super ignorant about the history of musicals and stuff in America? No, I mean, I don't think it's a big thing. Like, I don't think that, I mean, I think it's a big thing in certain areas. Like, you know, you brought up Prairie Prairie Home Companion and that is, that is a very popular thing, but like in certain pockets, like, I don't think it ever expands to the, the kind of urban areas and it doesn't become big. There's a, I feel like there, there's always going to be a market for musicals. Um, but I don't think, and I, this comes from a fan of musicals. Like I was raised on this stuff. Like I love them, but I just don't think it's ever going to be like it was. Like I think, you know, in the twenties and thirties, these Broadway reviews, you know, whether they were on stage or on screen were big, big business. Uh, but I think, you know, for better or for worse, things have gotten more subtle. 
Um, I think if you watch this movie, it is done in very broad strokes. I think the only, this movie had me for about two minutes and then it all went to hell. Um, there's like a really cute bit with like, you know, them, you know, and and the bit ends up, you know, robbing a poor, you know, service person of their, uh, of their tip. Uh, but like that, that little bit where she's like, oh yeah, call me over to the window as I'm about to, as I'm about to pay. And then we won't have to, we won't have to give them a tip. And that's like cute. And it shows this like little like sisterly bond and, you know, their connection. And then like after that, man, I mean, I think one of the big failings of this movie is I think this movie works a lot better if they are both actually wonderfully talented and they're still being kicked to the curb by the big business. But like when they give their, you know, they have their shot and they, you know, they have their audition essentially and the guy cuts them off. I was like, good. I don't want to hear this either. This is horrible. Like, this is not a good number. This is not a good song. These are not women that are abused uh, and should be given a shot. Like, maybe you're just not that good. And, like, maybe this movie should be a lot shorter. Like, I am, I am not interested in that journey. And then it goes on, like, this emotional tangent by the end. Like, just, like, this whole, like, no, you know, you should be with her. I never really liked you. Just kidding. You know, and it just, it all comes off as so hollow and so false. And all of it feels so forced. Like, it it's it's almost like they were writing this movie and they're like, well, we need we need them to fight. We need a split and we need some sort of emotional moment. But they don't do any of the work for it. Like they just want you to get there as the audience yourself. And I'm just like, no, this uh, I don't care about you. Like you haven't given me a reason to yearn for your success or yearn for your romance. Like it's just like. No, you all kind of suck. Like, I guess, like, the the kind of ditzy, pretty sister is okay. She doesn't do anything wrong. But, like, it's just, like... But there's nothing to hold on to with this movie. And usually I'm pretty good, even in movies I don't like, of finding somebody somewhere in the background where I'm like, that's the person. Okay, there's something to latch on to. There's something to care about. I hope it works out for them. But, like, within 10 minutes of this movie, I was just kind of like... I don't know, man, there's not there's not a lot here for me to root for. And I think every movie needs that. You need something or someone to root for. And I think they assume, as you watch this movie, that you're going to root for this kind of ragtag uh, sisterly uh, duo, but they're unwilling to do the actual work of storytelling. Yeah, and I, I agree with that in a, in a lot of ways. And there's some extra things that I want to explore about that too, because... It's certainly the the men in this film, um, not great people, uh, but I'm curious, (laughs) they're horrible people. They're genuinely horrible. Um, But what I'm, what I I look for in films that are before my time, uh, you know, what are they saying about the era and what are they presenting about the era that they're coming from? And this film was made just before the Great Depression, the beginning of the Great Depression. You know, at the end of 1929, everything was in the shit. And that when you're t- that moment you're talking about when they go to the hotel room and are very much like, hey, we don't have enough for a tip. Um, let's just trick the guy. Oh, I'll take that, thank you. Gee, this is elegant, ain't it? Tell you better when I get a peek at the bed. chances. If we can't pay our bill and the hotel holds the trunks, we still eat. 
And baby, when you don't eat, you lose a lot of calories. Calories? What are they? Oh, acrobats, you big sap. Well, I never got fat on your cooking. No? Well, you never got that complexion from the Greeks, I can tell you that. Don't talk to me like... Ixnay, Ixnay. Leave us plenty of towels, too. I did. And I counted them. How high can you count? Well, everything's okay. If there be anything else? Yeah, food. I think he may stall for a tip. Get to the wind and give me the high sign. Oh, Hank, I don't want to do that. Don't be such a cheapskate. Screw. Say, they run out of everything but dollar signs on this thing? <laughs> one coffee, one order of fried eggs. There's two in an order, ain't they? Yep. And one order of rolls. Hey, yeah. Come look at the elegant view. Oh, that'll be all, thank you. Cup of coffee, order of rolls, a couple of eggs. It worked. Oh, Queenie, New York, the place we've dreamed and talked about. And it's well. Yeah, but there's something about it that kind of scares me, Hank. Scares you? Well, there's nothing to be afraid of. Well, it seems like we're taking an awful chance. We were getting along so well out west. Plenty of work, small jumps, a chance to save money. And the act always went over big. But here, nobody knows us. Oh, I'm afraid. Oh, now, don't lose your nerve, honey. But we haven't got much money. I felt sorry for them there because I could see them as being, you know, impoverished kind of people who came to New York hoping for riches straight away. And, you know, on the backdrop with watching it with the mentality of, oh, the Great Depression is coming, I felt sorry for them. But then the film doesn't deal with any of that going forward at all. So it's not even a... A, an accurate document of that time. It's not an accurate representation of what it means to be somebody seeking success in a time of uh, difficulty and stress. And that's a bit frustrating, I guess, but it all depends on how uh, close the, the filmmakers were wanting to adhere to what was currently going on at the time. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think that they were even trying to do anything like that at all. But then on the flip side... Um, even if that's not what they were trying to do, trying to show people trying to make it big in, in New York, what I look for when I watch films that are before me are what the people are doing in the film and what it says about the society at that time. And, you know, we look at Wings and the, the talk about, oh, you know, this is a film that had uh, the first same same gender kiss in it. And yet, in that same film, the guy who kisses the other guy also kisses his mum on the mouth as well. And yet in the Broadway melody here, everybody's kissing everybody on the mouth. Oh, you know, my God. Sisters it's uncomfortable. Kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's fine, you know, but that, but it's so, so much about how people reacted and related to one another at that particular period. And, you know, the, the whole film, from my understanding, takes place over about four weeks. And yet, by the end of it, people are getting engaged and talking about marriage and buying Rolls Royces and stuff like that. And I'm like, hold up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> just just take a breather, guys. You know, take a breather. 
um, your Rolls Royce is going to be worth nothing in a year's time. But it's like, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's amazing to see how quickly these relationships move forward. And then the most important part coming back to the men is that, you know, this is a really fascinating document about how poorly women were treated in uh, in basically in, in Broadway and, and the theatre and musicals and stuff like that. They're, they're treated as um, items to just stand there and, and be ogled at by these terrible men. And so often men just grab women and, and you know, at certain points in this, um, both of the sisters are very... Um, they get cornered by men, two different men. And Queenie in particular is very much like, oh, look, you know, I don't particularly want to go with you. And he's like, oh, you will do. You will. Eventually you will. You know, I'm just going to keep on trying. And she's like, no, I don't want to at all. And I couldn't help but apply, you know, the modern lens uh, of watching this particular film, the hashtag Me Too era and stuff like that. And being like, wow, we still really haven't gone all that far, have we? Good morning, beautiful lady. Oh, you frightened me. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, they're elegant. Thanks. Just a little birthday card. Yes, well, they're lovely. You'll excuse me now? You have some place to go, haven't you? Are you putting me out? What's the matter? Don't you like the flowers? Oh, they're beautiful. They're not half so beautiful as you. And any girl that can look beautiful so early in the morning... <laughs> that sounds like you know quite a lot about girls. I do. I'm an expert. Much obliged for the compliment. You're welcome. Well, so long. Must I go? Please do. Oh, and thank you for being so nice to me. Not half so nice as I'd like to be. You know, we haven't really changed all that much given that this is almost 100 years ago and women were trying to fight for you can clearly see that they're like no i don't want to be with you or i don't want to have anything to do with you but men are just so powerfully strongholding them into relationships and and that's the thing which i'm like wow i didn't expect that from this particular film at all but the film also never addresses it either. It's not interested in addressing it. In fact, it almost celebrates the men for doing that. Um, that was yeah. the most yeah. That's that's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna jump in with. As I think that's an interesting uh, lens to to view it as um, to view it through rather. But when you have in the same movie, I mean, I will give it credit in this way that you know you have this kind of romantic turn at the end, and they do they do give you a reason that this happens, right? They do have something in the beginning of the film. You can tell that this guy is attracted to her even though he's with uh, he's with Hank. Uh, he's really attracted to Queenie. And there's this whole running thing like, oh, God, you grew up, which is always like such a gross thing. Like, oh, you're hot now. I'm Now I'm interested. Um, but like, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of like kisses on the mouth. And like he's like very close to her. Um, in that in that kind of introductory scene before that horrific dance number that I that I mentioned, and it's just like you watch it and you're like, and some of it is the time because like again, as I mentioned, we are like transitioning to a different style of acting, but it's like so obvious that he's into her even when his his actual girlfriend is in the room. Like you're like, how does how do people not react to this? So I'll give it credit that like there is seeds of it planted before the ending happens. 
but it never feels like she has a choice. Um, when it's first introduced, it does feel very in your face and very claustrophobic and like she cannot escape this. So when it ends up that like they end up together at the end, I was like, really, is she really into him? Like you, I don't think she becomes an object of all these men's sexual actions where it's just like everyone is into her and I get it. She's tall. She's got long legs. She's pretty. She's blonde. She's gorgeous. All those things. Yes, we get that, but we never get a sense that she's into any of them. Like, there's nothing written into the script that will, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about this because I'm also, like, on my other show, podcast directed by, we're talking about Ida Lupino, who was great at showing female desire in really subtle ways. And I think a lot of filmmakers, both before and after her, could learn a lot from the way she shoots women. Um, And that's what, that's a big thing that's missing here is that you don't, none of the female characters, other than I want to be rich and famous, I want to be on stage. They have no interior lives. They have no reason to live or to survive or thrive other than to be on stage. So uh, so they're kind of so, yes, these men are running the show. And some of that is because of the time. But some of that is because of this is the way it's written, because they have a stronghold over the only thing that we are showing that women want in this movie, which is fame and fortune. Like that's like from the very beginning, it's like, we're going to be on stage and we're going to be rich. We're going to have cars. We're going to have houses. That's their entire character arc. It's like, uh, we want to be rich. Oh, also, I guess, uh, I guess I fell in love. Nobody noticed, but here we are. Well, that's what I, that's one of the things I've got written down is that love is a business proposal here. It's just a transaction. And you know, where, where Queenie certainly is talking about, look, I can have all of this jewelry, I can have a Rolls Royce. I can have all of this wealth and stuff like that. And, and that's it. You know, it doesn't matter. Like there's nothing to the relationship at all. Uh, It all depends on, you know, what they can get from one another, whether it's a financial thing for one another or, you know, all right, I guess I'll trade off sex for this kind of luxurious life. And that's what... That's what concerns me is that this film is so eager to buy into that concept. And if it's such a success then, then it can only mean that, you know, maybe certainly people at that time were also eager to buy into that concept as well. I mean, not maybe, it's a definite. People were very much, you know, women need to be doing this and this and this and that's it. And it's hard to get on board with a film that so eagerly engages with that kind of stuff. And and I know that when you watch older films, you do have to watch them with that kind of cultural context in mind. The, you know, a lot of them will have casual racism in them. A lot of them will have uh, homophobia or you know rampant sexism and stuff like that in them. But often, if the film is good enough and the shell and the skeleton of it is good enough, you can't overlook those things. You should never overlook those elements, but you can certainly acknowledge that they exist and recognize the greatness that is surrounding it. Right. Well, but I think there's no greatness surrounding it here. I think yeah, there's the none issue. of that. Like, there's none. Like the, the song and dance numbers aren't good. The romance isn't good. The jokes are not good. Aside from that one in the very beginning, there's like a recurring character here of just this like rampant alcoholic who I think they just call unconscious 
throughout yeah. the entire movie. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's not funny the first time. It's not funny the seventh time. Like, it just, like, it's just like, it's just kind of bland. Like, I think this really hammers home. I, I am glad you mentioned the context of, of the Great Depression, because I think that does actually make some things make a little bit more sense. Like, the focus on money and fame and fortune, this is the only dream that's still available, because the dream of quote unquote the American way, the American dream is dead at this point because everything went to went to hell. Um so that makes that a little more interesting. But like the rest of the context is just like it does hammer home the idea that just because you're the first at doing something doesn't mean it's gonna be good. Right? I am glad the film musical exists because without the film musical starting at some point, then I don't get, you know, Moulin Rouge, I don't get film versions of Les Miserables that I enjoyed, I don't get Rent, I don't get, you know, there's a lot of, I don't get Singing in the Rain, to use a more classic example, like, those don't exist without this being here first, but that doesn't mean it's any good, and it's, and I think it's an important, it's an important thing to try to watch all these movies with an open mind as much as you can, because sometimes the movies that win awards are not going to be the best movies of the year, like, that's just not a, that's not a thing that is automatically true. Like, you know, I had watched um, I'd watched a couple movies uh, from this year that I thought were better. And neither of them were, like, fantastic, but certainly much more enjoyable than this. Like, I watched um, In Old Arizona, which I think is it's important to reference because it it's a caricature that comes through throughout Westerns later that I'm not a big fan of, but some people are, the kind of singing cowboy, right? I mean, that's lasted, I mean, even in the last couple of years, Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers movie, there was this singing cowboy as the narrator, so that has lasted. And then I watched Alibi, which feels like kind of like a Jimmy Cagney movie. It's a gangster picture. And that was actually really enjoyable. I read a lot of rev- like modern reviews of it. People like, well, the action sequences don't hold up. I was like, dude, it was made 100 years ago. Of course the action sequences don't hold up. Like, you do have to come in with some level of understanding and context. Like, you don't walk into Alibi and go like, well, Michael Bay does action sequences better. Like, this is, come on. Like... <laughs> What are we doing here? Like, no, they didn't have the technology. They didn't have the stunt people. They didn't have this and that. So you have to be on more understanding of that. But it, this is maybe the first circumstance of our show where I'm like, man, the other nominees were a lot better. And I wish the Patriots still existed. That's like the big one that it got nominated for a bunch of awards. And sadly, that film is lost to history. Uh, so I would have loved to have seen that. But there were other good movies that were made uh, in, you know, 1928, 1929 that weren't, that weren't nominated. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, with that, that last one, the, the, you know, it's a Lubitsch film as well. And given we still have a lot of his films around and he is a great musical director and certainly a great comedy director as well. Um, it's a shame that that doesn't exist. And it's also a shame that it didn't win because it, it certainly, uh, he's a great director and, and, would arguably I hadn't seen any other Harry Beaumont films, um, but this is the only one I've seen of his. Uh, but there's nothing about this that shows great direction or great promise. Um, and you know, I I think that you brought it. You brought up a great film that this one actually kind of references in some ways. Uh, but Singing in the Rain does touch on the con the conversion between silent films to talkies and the Broadway melody had a silent version that went around to theaters because not all theaters had 
the sound ability installed yet. I don't know what a silent version of this would have been like. It would have been torturous from what I, I imagine. But Sing in the Rain is such a glorious film that recognizes that transition between uh, silence and sound mo- movies. And that is such a much better film in so many different ways. And it sets a template as well going forward for so many other musicals that I'm like, I just don't know how musicals went from the Broadway melody to Sing in the Rain to Moulin Rouge and Chicago and La La Land even. You know, it just, I don't, I don't see the foundations of modern musicals or even musicals in the 50s and 60s from the Broadway melody. I don't see it in this particular film because there's just nothing in there. Um, And I think that a lot of the imitators who would have grown and and improved on this template and this format would have certainly brought all of of that stuff that we came to, that, that, you know, groove in modern musicals uh, in a lot of ways. And yet they're not recognized for quite a bit. Uh, it's It's a little bit before another musical wins Best Picture. And that's, I guess for me, that's what makes it a bit disappointing that when you look back at the first of something, you expect to see some kind of skeleton or some kind of evidence of what it has become. And I don't see that here. And that's really disappointing because I want to be able to hold up something that's uh, an originator and say, yeah, this is great. I really like it. And here's why it works or not even say it's great, but say, Hey, this is why it's important. This is why it matters. But unfortunately the first movie musical, uh, isn't important. It doesn't matter. And that's disappointing. That's really sad. Yeah, I mean, I think the the only thing you can latch on to in terms of it matters is, you know, having a truly successful, like whether, like not successful artistically, but monetarily, this was a very successful film. So it showed that there was an audience for the Broadway review for the musical. So it opens the doors a little bit for these other movies to exist, but that's the that's the best I can give it, honestly. <laughs> and that's not much because it doesn't, it just doesn't give you anything to hold on to. Like I just, you know, it does make me think, we've talked a lot about, we talked I think in the introductory episode about how it's different now in terms of just the amount of films that are put out. And it does make me think like how much of it was just like there wasn't anything else to do. You know, movies were affordable and this is a distraction movie purely. There's no real story to it. There's no power to it. So it's like if you're in the midst of, of the Great Depression and you don't have any money and you have just enough to go see a movie, this might be a nice silly distraction for the time. But that's like really all it is. It doesn't give you anything to hold on to. And I think in my mind, at least what the Academy Awards should be, what all awards should be is be awarding not just the best, because that's all subjective. Like, you know, you talk to 10 different people about the best movie of 1986, you'll get 10 different answers. But we should be highlighting films that matter in some way. You know, this is why I've never been a proponent of movies like movies from the MCU getting Oscar nominations, because I don't think they're important. I think they're entertaining, and I think they all have a lot of similarities. You know, a lot of the story structure is similar. A lot of them are... You know, it's the hero's journey, like we've seen it before. And are they really doing something important and different that we should remember? Like, you know, in 2050, when they do like a, you know, they look at, you know, the older movies and they show like a a bunch of clips all in a row. Are we going to are we going to show pictures of Captain America? You know, or are we going to show a clip from under the skin? 
Like I, and I hope we show a clip from Under the Skin because those are the that's a interesting, different movie. Whether you like it or not, shouldn't be the point. This should not be an award for made the most money. You know, the you get your reward for that already. You made your money. Go away. I'm not interested in the movie that made two billion dollars. I'm interested in the movie that pushed the boundaries and did something different. Yeah, I think this is interesting as well, because one of the reasons why I wanted to do this particular podcast was because uh, when you when I watch the Oscars and they have clips of certain things that, you know, have come from the previous Academy Awards and stuff like that. And those clip reels often have major films like, you know, on the waterfront and, uh, you know, Gone with the Wind and stuff like that. These major moments in major films that have had a huge impact in society. And and that's part of the reason why I'm like, well, I'm curious about the ones that aren't shown on the Academy Awards own ceremony. I'm curious about those ones because surely, you know, they're, they're worthwhile seeking out. But even if the Academy Awards are shunning them, uh, then they've already recognized that they don't matter. They're, they're not important. And it's a bit sad, um, you know, to have that kind of just brushed under the rug in a lot of ways. But maybe maybe it's, you know, best to brush this kind of film under the rug, especially because in, like, I was already against this film quite a lot. And then when the climax happens and you've got the two sisters and their their beau arguing and all this kind of stuff, out of nowhere, these racial slurs just get thrown around in this moment where I was just like, okay, I didn't expect, like, I already didn't like you, but now you're really going over the edge (laughs) of just hating. I just don't think this is a good film at all. And now I understand why it's not appearing in... Uh, Academy Awards clips and stuff like that, which is, you know, it's it's a bit sad, again, that the Academy Awards aren't recognizing their own, uh, their own, their own films that they've rewarded in the past. And I find it interesting that you make this comparison to the MCU in some ways. Um, well, maybe not a comparison, but, you know, bring up the MCU in some ways, uh, because in a way it does kind of feel like, oh, you know, Iron Man, for example, if that won Best Picture, just as a, a thought, you know, would we be looking back on it in the same way that we would be looking back on a film like Broadway Melody, just because it was the originator of the most successful film franchise ever? Um, would we still applaud it just because of that? Is being the first enough to win an award? I don't think so. I don't think so. It needs to be the like. It needs to be an originator. But also be good. Good? Yeah. (laughs) And not even just good. Just good shouldn't be good enough. I'm sorry. Like, we're not looking for mediocrity. We're not looking for something that's like, oh, that ticks all the boxes. We should be looking for something that will stand the test of time, right? On its own. Not just because it is a part of the... I mean, and let's be real. Like, there are MCU movies I like. I've been enjoying watching them, although I've stopped watching... Them because I'm kind of anti-Disney at this point. It's not because the MCU movies are bad. They're not bad movies. But they become so serialized that, like, you can't... Like, you can't just jump into, say... You know, I don't know. Even, like, something like Captain Marvel. You can't just jump into it and be like, Well, I know nothing about the MCU. I'm going to enjoy this movie. I think... And that's what they built. That is what they were after. But that's not... To me, that's not... 
that's not it's not that it's not art it's art in its own way but like i want something to stand out i want to be able to tell any friend of mine like hey sit down let's watch this great movie and i don't think that's what the mcu is going for they are going for the most they can and i think there's a difference between successful and good and i think that the greatest of movies are able to combine those two and it's up to you if you think the mcu has done that I don't particularly think they have. I think they have done a great job of making very marketable films to everybody. But in terms of things that really push the envelope and make you think not only about life, but about the the art form in general, like MCU is not, I'm not sitting down to Captain America 9 and being like, oh, they're really doing something different here. No, they figured out what they need to do to succeed and they're doing it very well. But that's not something I want to remember 50 years from now. Yeah. Look, I, I agree. And and I think it's interesting as well, um, you know, looking at, I guess, the biggest films of certain years and stuff like that. And, I, you know, one of the, I think it's in uh, 1987, uh, thereabouts, uh, where one of the biggest films of that year was Three Men and a Baby. And it's like, you know, I think it was like the number one film of that year, the highest grossing film that year. Um but does it matter? Like, is 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 box office success enough to warrant a, a slot in film history? Is box office success, you know, obviously Didn't one not. of the Madagascar? I mean, one of the Madagascar movies is one of the top grossing movies of all time. Am I going <laughs> to rush off and see Madagascar two? No, I'm not that interested in a fucking animated lemur. I'm interested in like film as an art form. You know what I mean? Like, just because it makes a lot of money, like. You know, back to Disney, but Frozen made a shit ton of movie, a shit ton of money. That doesn't mean that, like, it matters in the long run. It just means that they, they were successful at what they tried to do and bringing in a big audience. Big audience does not make it memorable, and it doesn't make it, quote-unquote, matter, especially in terms of how we're discussing on this show. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Which kind of answers the question I was going to ask. Like, this film, uh, the question is... Does this particular movie matter? And the answer is a resounding no. The Broadway melody does not matter. And it doesn't have a cultural impact that, that carries through to today at all. And I can't even recommend it as a cultural curiosity no. for oh, anybody. No. You know, Absolutely I, not. I wish this had people... been lost instead of The Patriot. And I haven't even yeah. seen The Patriot. But I know it cannot be as bad as this. Like, it's no. almost impossible for it yeah. to be as bad as this. Yeah. And look, I mean... Part of why I'm doing this particular thing is, is uh, you know, a personal interest in film history, as as we discussed in the intro episode. Uh, you know, I'm interested in what one and stuff like that. But if other people are going through this kind of project and going through uh, exploring the best picture winners and things like that, this one in particular is a resounding skip it. Um, especially because it's hard to find. Like, it's it's not an easy film to find, from my perspective, at least, in Australia. I had to get you to buy the disc to send to me. You know, that's how hard it is to find this one. It's not worth the legwork to track this particular film down at all. How did you watch it as well? Where where was... Um, I think it's, it's actually, like, rentable on a couple different uh, streaming services here, one of them being YouTube. So it's unfortunately very available here. But I still would not – like, this is, this is not a recommendation to go check this out because it is – I mean, unless – the only reason to watch this 
is if you are an idiot like me and you're like, well, I just want to watch all the all the best picture winners. I just I want to see what got awarded. Uh, but in terms of like enjoyment, like I cannot I know a lot of people and I know a lot of people that watch a lot of movies and I kind of cannot think of a single person that would be like, hey, you should check this out because I don't hate people like that. I don't I don't I don't want to like put them through pain. Like this is just it's not a good time and a musical beyond everything else should be enjoyable. Especially the Hollywood musical. That's like the whole point is like a happy distraction. So the only way this matters is at all is in terms of the genre that it allowed, but as a movie itself, no. It absolutely does not matter. Yeah. I think that's good good way to wrap it up. For this particular film and this particular discussion, uh, Broadway Melody, you you tried uh, and you failed <laughs> um, dismally, absolutely dismally. Uh, so yeah, uh, next month we'll be discussing All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, which is returning back to war uh, after we went there with wings and uh, took a, a dalliance uh, away from there with this musical, which is interesting as well um, because the second and third Academy Awards are the only time that the Oscars were held in the same year. Uh, so one can only assume that later on in 1929 uh, that the Academy went, oh, shit, this is not a good film. <laughs> Let's quickly run another Academy Awards and rush this out of people's minds. That's the only that's the only thing I can think of of the reason why um, there were two in the one year. The actual reason is that I believe that they were trying to get it back into the uh, singular year fashion of having you know one year of movies covered. But uh, I'm not too sure about that in particular because the following years also carried a. Um, dual year uh release pattern as well but nonetheless um yeah that's a broadway melody you can check us out on uh twitter as well we have a twitter page now awards don't pod uh unfortunately awards don't matter didn't fit into the um the 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 letter things so it's awards don't pod uh they don't pod at all uh you can also find us on facebook awards don't matter and you can also write an email to us if you like awards don't matter podcast at gmail.com um yeah do you have anything else you want to add about the broadway melody and uh maybe where people can find you online as well um i just want to leave <laughs> i want to leave this movie <laughs> in the rear view i've never been so happy to move towards war um, <laughs> after this movie, because I kind of want to fight this movie, so I kind of, I kind of get what the the Academy was after as it moved on to the next year. Uh, yeah, don't watch this movie. Uh, there's a lot of movies out there to watch. Uh, you'll never watch them all, so watch something that might be good. Don't watch this. Um, and if you want uh, more of my nonsense, uh, there's a couple places you can go. Uh, obviously, Twitter is the place for all of them because I spend. Let's not talk about how much of my life I spend on there too much. Um, you can find my personal account, Dave A. Giannini, G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I. Uh, and if you want to check out my other podcast, I do a podcast uh, with a mutual friend, Mike Denniston, called A Podcast Directed By. That's at Directed By Pod. And I'm doing a podcast about queer film called Queer and Now for Talk Film Society, where I also write some film criticism along with At The Curb. Um, so you can find that at Queer and Now Pod. Don't like 
I think if they found this podcast, they've already figured out where to find you. Exactly. Great. All right. Uh, Cut it. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now with Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products. Like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.